Hello and welcome to the Ministry of Philip Christian Bible Study. We're finally beginning our Bible study today. Thank all of you for joining and we ask a word of wisdom and understanding in Jesus' name as we start our journey into his word. The Gospel according to Mark chapter 1 verse 1 and it reads, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Matthew and Luke record the birth of Christ, but Mark starts directly with the word gospel being translated good news. The ministry of Jesus began when he was 30 years old, still a young man, but old enough to have reached maturity, and from the first verse it is declared that he is the Son of God. Verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is a composite quotation of two verses from the Old Testament, Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 40, verse 3. Many times, two or more Old Testament verses are combined in the New Testament to form a quote. Since the Lord is the author of the entire scriptures, it is his right to use and expound upon his former words however he sees fit. Malachi is primarily concerned with the end times, with some prophecies foretelling the first coming of Christ. Isaiah chapter 40 is concerned with Christ and touches on some things that were to happen and did in the first advent of Christ, but the chapter mainly concentrates on the second advent and the events just prior to the return of Christ and the establishment of the millennial kingdom. With that in mind, some of you may remember that we mentioned Isaiah chapter 40 in our current events broadcast, specifically verse 16, where it says, Lebanon is not sufficient to burn or would not be accepted as a burnt offering. This verse bears remarking on in light of the huge explosion that, that just destroyed Lebanon's main port of Beirut and the subsequent fires that kept breaking out throughout the city in the following months. Continuing on. To be clear on terms, when I use the words first advent and second advent, I am referring to Christ's birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascent to heaven as the first advent and it is past. When we say second advent, we are referring to his return to earth at the end of this age after the tribulation period. This is still yet future, and when it occurs, all eyes will see, and every knee shall bow. You won't need to ask your neighbor, Lo, where is Christ? Is he here, or is he there? All will know instantly, and there will be no question of who the true Christ is. Verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for remission of sins. The John here is John the Baptist. The rise of John was foretold around 700 years before his birth. He was the voice crying in the wilderness, making the people ready for the coming Messiah. He was Christ's herald. In the old times, before a king or important person entered a council or feast, 
Their herald would go in first and announce that the king was about to enter. First he would call for silence, then begin to announce all the noble and mighty deeds of the king. When those in attendance were suitably impressed, the king would enter. This was John's role, and he performed it to perfection. When we read the Bible, we sometimes forget that miracles and prophets were fairly rare things. We have the impression that it was just miracle after miracle from creation to the time of the apostles, and then all the miracles just stopped. This was not the case at all. Miracles and prophets are rare in the Bible. They only seem common because we're talking about a book that spans several thousand years. The Lord appears to send his prophets in groups. Oftentimes, several of the ones we have record of were prophesizing at the same time. Before the appearance of John, it was almost 400 years that no prophet had been seen in the land of Israel. Then suddenly, John came from the wilderness, a prophet from the olden times, clothed with woven camel hair. He operated outside the towns and cities in the hinterlands. And all the people came to see him and be baptized by him. It was not just the Jews who came, but all the people of the land, from the strangers traveling in the territory to the Roman soldiers garrisoned in the providences guarding the border of the empire. Down by the Jordan River they would come to hear John proclaim his message of repentance and remission of sins and his call to make ready for the coming king. Let's take a closer look at John. I'm not sure if we'll do another book after Mark, and I would like you to have a full understanding of John the Baptist and his mission. He came after the manner of the great prophet Elijah. He also set the type for the two witnesses that will appear shortly before the end of this age. Like the prophet Elijah and Christ himself, John did not write down any of his teachings. That work was left to others. What we know of him comes from the scriptures and a short passage in the Jewish historian Josephus' work. What we know of John comes from the New Testament, but his coming was foretold by several of the Old Testament prophets, most notably Isaiah and Malachi. John was a full-blooded Levite. That is to say, his mother and father were of the tribe of Levi. What many people do not realize is that there were 13 tribes of Israel. The only one who retains their identity today is the tribe of Judah, the people commonly referred to as the Jews. The other 12 tribes have lost their identity, and though they are still here and God's promises still apply to them, they have forgotten who they are. So when we refer to the modern nation of Israel, we are really only talking about one tribe, and that is the tribe of Judah. And it happens, coincidentally, or not, that the prophecies concerning the timing of the latter days concern Judah specifically. But back in Jesus' time, there were still members of the tribe of Levi who remembered who they were. Now the tribe of Levi was a special tribe. When the Lord freed the ancient nation of Israel from the bondage of the Egyptians, he led them to the Holy Land, 
and the tribe of Levi was not given a section of territory like the other tribes. The tribe of Levi resided in cities spread throughout the entire country in order that they could be priests in the service of the Lord and minister to the people of the other tribes. They were the teachers of his holy word. So here we have the priestly line. The other twelve tribes were all given parcels of territory in their new land. John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was a priest of the tribe of Levi. And during this time, service in the temple was divided into courses. For the deeper student, it may be possible to pinpoint the date of Christ's conception by the date setting of the phrase of the course of Abiah in Luke chapter 1 verse 5. This is not something we will go into. I just wanted to mention it in case any of you were interested in a special study on the topic to be done on your own. At any rate, it came to pass that it was Zacharias's turn to do his service in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem. This was the one place in the entire world dedicated to the worship of the God of Israel. The major pagan deities had temples in all the large cities of the empire, but the true God only had one place, and it sat on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It was here that Zacharias was performing his duties and burning incense in the temple when he saw the angel Gabriel standing by the altar. Zacharias was filled with fear and dread, and in Luke chapter 1 verse 13, the angel spoke unto him, saying, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. When Zacharias heard these things, he was understandably doubtful because he and his wife were very old. But at the same time, he did have the angel of the Lord standing in front of him at the altar of the Most High and telling him these things. So for his doubt and a sign for those living at the time, Zacharias was struck mute and the angel told him that his tongue would be bound until John was born. And with that, Zacharias finished his priestly duties and traveled to his home where his wife conceived just as he was told. About six months after this, the same angel, Gabriel, appeared to Mary, the future mother of our Lord, and spoke to her in Luke chapter 1 verse 31, saying, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth the Son, and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 
And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. We notice here that unlike Zacharias, Mary does not doubt the words of God's messenger, but simply asks, how could it be, since she had never known a man? Verse 39, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah. It's commonly believed that this would have been around a 70-mile journey. Verse 40, And entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. There are many lessons here. First, since Mary is the cousin of Elizabeth, who would need to be a Levite in order to marry the priest Zacharias, we know that Mary is half of the tribe of Levi, the priest line. And from Mary's genealogy in Luke chapter 3, we know that Mary was the daughter of Heli, who was of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of the kings. So we have Christ being half king and half priest. For the deeper students, the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Joseph, Christ's adopted father. And the one of Luke chapter 3 is Mary. It is through Mary's bloodline that Christ comes. Secondly, we see that the newly conceived Christ was radiating the Spirit of God from his conception, and that the babe John leapt in his mother's womb when Mary came near. It is stated that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months. It is not clear if she was present at the birth of John, which would have taken place around this time. And it came to pass that John was born and he was mighty in the Holy Spirit. As documented in Luke chapter 1 verse 80, it reads, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. It is very likely that due to the advanced age of his parents that the boy was orphaned early in life and grew up in the solitude of the desert until the command of the Lord came for him to come forth and share his message with the world. Continuing on and going back to Mark, referring to John. Mark chapter 1 verse 5. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now when John came forth from the desert, it caused quite a stir. Prior to this, as has been mentioned, there had not been a prophet in the land of Israel for nearly 400 years. It's also important to note what the people were doing here in verse 5. They were confessing their sins. They were acknowledging their wickedness and their transgression of the will of the Lord, and they were asking for his forgiveness and mercy. It also says that all the land of Judea went out to John. This was not just the Jews, but all the people who were in the area at this time. 
the Greeks, the Romans, all manner of stranger and foreigners. And remember, this area was the geographic crossroads of Africa, Asia, and Europe. So many different nationalities would have commonly been here, and many of them would have heard of John as there was fairly rapid communication, comparatively speaking, due to the Roman road systems. Verse 6, And John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locust and wild honey. Here we have a prophet straight out of the ancient times, the time before the civilizing Greek influence of Hellenism and the structure of the Roman laws. This was a prophet down of the past, and he spoke boldly. He lived in the wilderness, then came forth. His followers were probably few at first, They would have met him as they traveled in the wilderness by the river Jordan, and he would have found them and preached unto them. And then they would have returned to their towns and cities and told others of the man they had met in the back country, who was proclaiming the time of the Messiah was at hand. Others still would have sought out John, and those would have drawn even more people to him. The people can feel in their soul when a man is genuine, And it is evident when the Lord lays his spirit on someone and they become a minister or a prophet. To understand John more and his mission, let's see what Christ himself would say concerning John in other places. Christ speaking in Luke chapter 7 verse 24. What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously appareled and live delicately are in king's courts. When Jesus says a man is clothed in soft raiment, this would be an effeminate man. From Christ's sentence structure and the contrast made, we can get an idea of how Christ feels about those who behave in this fashion. Male and female created he them, and there was no confusion, as there seems to be in our time. But from this statement, we can see the contrast with John. John was a man's man, living in the wilderness, clothed in a woven camel hair garment, and preaching the word of the Lord boldly, turning neither to the right nor the left. This was a man the people came to see. Continuing on in verse 26. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. John was the king's herald foretelling his imminent appearance and preparing the people for his coming. Verse 28, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's a pretty powerful statement. There has never been a greater prophet born of woman than John. This is the only testimony we need to his character. Christ has spoken. But let's look at the second part of Luke chapter 7 verse 28. 
it says that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. How can this be true if John is the greatest here? How can he be least in heaven? The answer is that at this time, John was still alive and in the flesh. Let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes to get a better grasp of what happens at the death of the flesh body. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 6 Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel be broken at the cistern. Solomon was talking about the death of the mortal body here. Verse 7 Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. From this we see that when our mortal body fails, it goes into the earth from which it came. But instantly, our soul goes to the Father. Let's go a little further to drive the point home. The Apostle Paul, speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doeth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show unto you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall raise incorruptible, and we shall be changed." For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We notice here that the bodily change takes place at the last trump. Christ also returns at the last trump, which is the seventh trump spoken of in the book of Revelation. Previously in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul explains this change a little better. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, and it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So we see a mystery that many do not know. We will have a new body that is spiritual, and not everyone will die, but we will all be changed at the end of this age. Let's look at one more witness to the change of the body from flesh to spiritual. The beloved disciple John tells us in his first epistle, The first epistle of John, chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, 
Now we are children of God, and it is not yet made manifest what we shall be. We know that, if he shall be manifested, we shall be like him, for we shall see him even as he is. I use the American Standard Version here because it's a little clearer than the King James. What John is saying is that we do not know what form we will take when Christ appears, but we do know that it will be different and we will be as Christ is. I digressed here intentionally. Since it's looking like we will only do one book, we would like to link as many important concepts as possible to get a large overview using just the one gospel as a source to link to other important teachings. This side study was an attempt to explain why John, as good as he was, would still be least in the kingdom of heaven if he were there. And what we as believers in Christ have to look forward to at his second coming. Let's take one more look at the character of John the Baptist and let it be an inspiration to us. John had a very large following, but as Jesus' ministry was beginning, John's followers started to go to Jesus. We've all seen this on one level or another in our personal lives or in the news. People are once drawn to one person, but then they drift off to another. In many cases, it may be that the formerly faithful students, supporters, lovers, or whoever just became bored and they wanted something new. Because remember, as it is written in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 8, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. We as humans are always searching for that next new thing, and when we think we find it, we move on. And the one we adored previously usually cannot help but feel a sense of loss and perhaps resentment at being replaced. This is natural, and we have all felt it on some level or another. Let's see how the Baptist handles this situation. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 23. And John also was baptizing in Aenon near to Samil, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they that came unto John said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond the Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, Behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. John's disciples were speaking of Jesus here. Verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given to him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. It is here that we see the power of the character of John the Baptist. 
He had a large following at this time, much larger than Jesus, yet he was a true servant of the living God, in that when his time and work were fulfilled, preparing the field for the sower, he stepped out of the way as his master planted the field. This would be impossible for one who had an ego and thought the things that they did were of themselves. John knew that his work was of God, and he only lived to serve the plan of the master. And when his time was at an end, he stepped aside, and in due course of time, he went to his father's house in heaven, and there he has received his pay, and will continue to do so for all eternity. Let's carry on a couple more verses and see what John has to say of the Redeemer. Verse 31, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, he testifieth. And no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony has set his seal that God is true. When we receive the testimony of Christ, we set a seal in our hearts that proclaims that the word of God is true and correct. It will show in our actions and deeds as we go about our lives and become stronger in the faith. We will always fall short of the ideal set by Christ. But the closer we follow his example, the more peace we will have in our lives. We will end our study here for the day. If you have stayed with us throughout, I hope that you have gotten something from it. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.